0: Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We have a very special guest today, uh, Dr. James White with Alpha and Omega Ministries. Uh, Dr. White has um, been an influence of mine for many years, actually. He, he may not even know this, but uh, I remember back even probably about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago when I had some uh, Mormons in the area that I lived uh, were very aggressive. They even came into the church for church services with their elder badges and I went on and I met with them for hours. And and I I remember the first meeting we went in circles and then I decided to do some homework. And that's when I read letters to a Mormon elder. And I brought, I I still remember walking in with my Greek new Testament, my book of Mormon facsimile for the original one, uh, my, my modern book of Mormon and then letters to the Mormon elder, you know, right on top. And I walked in and they saw that. And I'm pretty sure I'm still banned in that area. So, (laughs) Um, but anyway, thank you so much for your work, uh, for your books, for all, all the material it's, it's been inspirational and it's been helpful for me. So,
1: well, great. It's, it's also good to know that I'm quite that old, um, <laughs> I, uh, I wrote that book in 1989 ish, somewhere around there, as I recall. So it's, it's been
0: a while. Yeah. Wait, wait I, out of curiosity, do you remember what month you finished it in 1989? This is important. Um, was it summer, fall?
1: No, because at one point, actually, it might have been, it might have actually been in the early 90s, because okay. I made reference to uh, a record temperature uh, in the letters, because the letters, obviously, were to a fictional Mormon missionary, but they were based on what was really going on. And um, I made reference once to summer in, uh, in one of the letters And I also made reference to our setting our all-time record high, which was 122 degrees on June 26, 1990, as I recall. Okay. So it probably would have been the fall of 90.
0: So I was alive, not to date you too much. There was a question there for a moment whether I even existed. And so I did exist. I was probably a few months old or or a year old, but... But anyway, we have an important topic that I've asked you to talk about because I notice you've been pretty vocal on Twitter and on your program about um, concerns over a bunch of things, but the Equality Act and some of the COVID lockdowns, um, immunizations, masks, uh, you know, being things that you're not really going along with, you're you're concerned about. Um, And and of course, uh, you've kind of taken to task Christians who use Romans 13 and other passages to try to justify church complicity, Christian complicity in these things. And so I was hoping just kind of at, at just a, a simple level for people uh, who are trying to understand this, Romans 13, uh, 1 Timothy 2, praying for leaders, First Peter 2, um, uh, submitting yourselves uh, like Romans 13 says, these all seem to indicate that Christians have a duty to submit to the government. So if the government says something like you need to lock down your church for an indefinite period of time because of a health risk. Why, why would that be wrong? I mean, as Christians, we're supposed to submit. So you, you've given some good answers. I was hoping you could kind of walk us through your rationale.
1: Well, a lot of this is coming out of the fact that um, I am a pastor in a church. Um, have been. Uh, I've only been in two, I guess, three churches in my adult life. Uh, very young, I was at a very, very large Southern Baptist church, had 20,000 members. You can never find any more than 7,000 at a time, but it had 20,000 members on the list. Um, and then I went from there to uh, a Reformed Baptist church where I was for almost 30 years. And now I'm one of the four pastors at Apologia Church. And Apologia is well known for uh, taking very strong stands on, especially the, the issue of uh, the unborn and uh, starting an abortion now and uh, we've, we've literally seen thousands of babies saved uh, outside abortion mills uh, from death over the past number of years and so when all this started we immediately had a lot of discussion amongst the elders concerning the fact that we believe it's extremely important for the people of God to meet uh, for the people of God to be instructed from the word of God uh, and Shock of all shocks, anybody who's read the London Baptist Confession of 1689 uh, knows that there is a very strong and full doctrine of the Lord's Supper uh, amongst Reformed Baptists. Uh, Not so much amongst Southern Baptists, but certainly amongst Reformed Baptists. And that first church, by the way, was Southern Baptist Church. So that's where I was originally licensed.
0: Um, It was good that you got out, just saying. (laughs) uh, I'm sorry? It was good that you got out. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Uh, I still have a lot of,
1: of good friends in, in the SBC. It's, it's sad to see what's, what's going on, but not surprising to see what's going on. Uh, in fact, let's be honest, what's going on in the SBC is going on to a lesser extent amongst Reformed Baptists, Presbyterians, OPC, PCA. It's everywhere. Uh, right. it's, it, it, it's, it's universal. There's no, there's, no, there's no place to run to hide. Uh, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I don't know. We don't do conspiracy theories on this show, so. Uh, you know, have to. <laughs> well, it's, it's
1: everywhere. So anyway, uh, we immediately were, were going, all right, well, what are we going to do if our state says you, you can't meet any longer uh, or if they start restricting what you can do in your services, uh, you can't have the Lord's Supper, because you remember there was all sorts of stuff like that going on, no Lord's Supper, no singing, no, all, all this stuff. Right. And we looked at the numbers early on and came to the conclusion as a, as a group that um, unlike what you saw on MSNBC, this was not the Black Death, um, this was not the plague. And uh, that in fact, it was tracking with a lot of other things that we deal with on a regular, regular basis. And so we, we made the decision that we were going to continue to, to meet, continue to sing, uh, Continued to minister the word of God. The only changes we made, uh, we uh, and we're still doing one thing, um, we come forward to receive the Lord's Supper. I'm going to get to Romans 13, but this just gives you the background. Yeah. We come forward to receive the Lord's Supper at, at Apologia. I really enjoy that. Uh, I like getting up and testifying to everyone there that my trust is completely and totally in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. I think it's wonderful. So we have deacons or sometimes one of the elders uh, at the back. And when you get in that line, and we have a, we have over tripled in size since COVID because so many people had no church to go to. We were the only wow, one of the only churches in the fifth largest city in the United States uh, that we're still meeting and preaching uh, a, a gospel message. So we've got a long line of people now, but we have hand sanitizer in the back. And so we, we call it the blessing of hand sanitizer, um, because we come up and, and you, you take the bread, you take the cup. And, and so, uh, that's, that's what we've been doing. So that's really, that really started us having to think through a lot of the relationship. My other fellow elders who had started EAN already were down the road a bit from me in having thought through these things in regards to Roe v. Wade, um, law in regards to abortion, uh, They've been involved with stuff in Oklahoma. We've been involved with a, a law that is, has that is, uh, uh, been introduced into the legislature here in Arizona to abolish human abortion. Um, so they had already done a lot more thinking of, on these issues than I necessarily had, but I had to start working through these, these things myself. And of course, to do that requires you to look at Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, and also to look at Jesus's interaction with the state, uh, with the uh, lesser magistrates in his experience there in, in Jerusalem and Judea and, and Galilee, um, to look at John the Baptist and his relationship, um, and as well as the early church. And early church is sort of I've taught church history for well longer than you've been alive. Uh, so uh, uh, that that all sort of came together at at one point in time. And so the Romans 13 issue didn't seem all that different to me until I started seeing how people were utilizing it. And so only a few weeks ago, uh, we used our new studio to to do a study where we went through uh, the text and emphasized the reality that what is stated by Paul is that the authorities ordained by God are meant to punish evil and reward good, to encourage good and to punish those who would do evil. And that we are in, being submission to such God-ordained authority. And of course, no one, I, I, I guess there probably are some Christian anarchists out there someplace, but I've not run into them. Um, very clearly, God is a God of order. There's order in the church. But the first thing that this forced Christians of the past, and of course I've studied this stuff in church history and how the early church interacted and all the rest of this type of stuff, is to understand the concept of sphere sphere sovereignty, which you cannot say three times fast. Uh, <laughs> sphere sovereignty, and that is something that is, let's be honest, almost never heard of in Baptist churches, That's or right. it hasn't been until recent times. I I never heard it as a as a kid or growing up or going to Bible college as a good old Southern Baptist boy at a Southern Baptist Bible college, a sphere of sovereignty? What in the world's that? Because we were at peace, in essence, with the state. The state left us alone. We had freedom of religion. The state didn't really care too much. Um, started to change a little bit after Roe v. Wade. And let's be honest, the church was way behind the curve on Roe v. Wade. Uh, and the whole issue of... But we really hadn't, we hadn't been pressed to think about these things. We hadn't been pressed to think about the idea that the church has a sphere of sovereignty. I think for a lot of Baptists, they're just like, no, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) And and when you think about it, what's in almost every Baptist church up at the front, over in the corners, dusty, but they're over in the corners with gold braid on the fringes. Yeah, flag. An American flag and a Christian flag, right? Yeah. I've seen it all over the place. And
0: that's what Christian raised, nationalism that's what that is.
1: Well, uh, right, exactly. <laughs> I I was raised in that mindset that you've got that sphere over there and this is our sphere over here and this is the spiritual stuff and that's the governmental stuff and never never shall the twain meet. And very rarely did the church with any prophetic voice say anything to the state. Here's the problem. In Romans chapter 13, uh, Paul specifically uses the phrase uh, to do good. Ta agathon. The good. To do good. Now, if you ask, if you just step back away from all the debates and go, for Paul, what is Paul's primary source for defining what the good is? Because it's then contrasted with doing evil. But the good, where is Paul thinking that is to be defined? And it's obvious. I mean, you don't have to even think about good works. Um, You don't have to go over to Romans chapter 8 and say all things work together for the good. Those are different categories. When you're talking about law and when you're talking about punishing evil doers and rewarding those who do good, where's Paul going to get that? Well, he's he's not getting that from Nero Caesar. He's not getting that from uh, the the Roman ethical writers of the preceding century, as interesting a read as they are, and he would have known them. That's one of the things that made Paul special is he was well aware, uh, given his upbringing and his education, what they had said, uh, no, Paul is going to derive that from the scriptures, from what God has said in his law. And part of the problem is that most evangelicals, I'm just going to throw this out here. I'll defend it. Most evangelicals are antinomians. Um, they just go, ah, we're under the law, we're under grace. And as far as justification is concerned, that's all true. And you can never earn God's God's, mer- God's grace. You can't merit anything from God. All of that's true. None of us have ever kept the law. All that's true. But be right in the middle of talking about justice my faith, remember in Romans chapter 3, Paul says the law is good. And he says to Timothy, the law is good if a person uses it lawfully. Right. And so the law is a good thing. The law defines for us what is good and what is evil. And in Romans chapter 13, he is describing the state that is doing what the state is supposed to be doing. Now the problem is there's never been a state that has done that perfectly. We should strive to inform a state as to how we can have God's blessing because I I spoke at our, at our pro-life rally when we announced this legislation we're trying to get through abolishing human abortion in Arizona and I started off back in the, this was before you were born, but back in the uh, 70s when we moved here, uh, there was just broadcast TV and one of the channels, Channel 10, every hour their station ID went like this, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, K-O-L-T-V, Channel 10, Phoenix.
0: That wasn't and, a Christian station.
1: Well, no, it wasn't. Oh my goodness. In fact, that was the CBS affiliate. That was the CBS affiliate back then. Wow. And every hour, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, Psalm thirty-three. And that section, when you when you when you go there, there is a blessing on the nation whose God is the Lord. But as Proverbs says, sin is a rebuke to any nation. Hmm. So these are realities; these are truths that we are to be communicating to the state. Do you want God's blessing? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But sin is a rebuke to any, any people. They need to know what sin is. They need to know who the Lord is. And that's just not, you know, you know there was allegedly so many Christians in government for so long that we just sort of got used to that idea. Uh, that, well, they already know all that instead of speaking prophetically and clearly to government as to what its role is supposed to be. Romans 13 is... Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Really? Tell that to the Christian church in Victoria, Australia today. Because as you probably know, the state of Victoria, and there's there's New South Wales, Victoria, there's different states in in Australia that are sort of similar to what we have in the United States, but, but different in other ways. Um, they are about to pass a a legislation in Victoria that is so draconian, so extreme, it's very much like the C6 bill in Canada, but it goes even farther to even say that if a child can prove harm upon themselves, a child who first say says they're same-sex attracted or a a young girl who says she's a boy, And if they can prove that the parents communicated the child, that the parents were praying for the child, and this caused harm, it'll now be against the law in Australia.
0: To pray for your child. Pray for your child. To pray for your child.
1: Now, you look at Romans 13, for rulers on a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Is it good behavior or evil behavior to pray for your children? It's
0: good behavior. That's good
1: behavior. Yeah. So if the state is punishing good behavior, this isn't the state Paul's talking about. This isn't the state that that is a state that needs to be called to repentance and the judgment of God upon it proclaimed very clearly. And it becomes the duty of any Christian. It's the duty of any Christian parent to pray for your children. If the state says don't pray for your children, open the windows and pray loudly for your children.
0: Like Daniel. Yeah.
1: Like Daniel did. Exactly. No question about it.
0: W- and what do you do? know
1: this is how Paul lived. This is how Peter lived. I've pointed out that in Acts chapter twelve, when when the when the angel delivered Peter from prison supernaturally, um, Peter didn't takes him off the road, and then the he's about to leave. <laughs> Peter doesn't go to the angel. Uh, wait a minute, uh, I'm sorry. you violated sorry,
0: Romans thirteen, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I believe in Romans thirteen. I, I need to go back now.
0: No, that hadn't yeah. been written yet. That's why. He, no.
1: <laughs> well, and, and there you go. Um, once it was, Peter felt really badly about that. And he really felt badly about the fact that his guards were killed, were executed, oh. because he, of course, by the end of the chapter, who else was killed? Herod himself. Yeah. God struck him dead. A secular leader. Oh, but he was religious. Well, yeah, tell him, tell him that. Anyway, the point is the apostles did not, the apostles understood sphere sovereignty. No, the apostles did not call for an armed rebellion to take out Caesar. There is no question about that either. But they also did not subject the church to Caesar's ultimate authority. They met in secret. We know that for the by, by the time of Tacitus, the beginning of the second century, so barely after the apostolic period, Paul, John could have still been alive, um, but probably had died just before that. Tacitus tells us that the, the Christians are, are meeting out in the, in the open. Uh, they're meeting in secret. They're, they're meeting before dawn in certain places, but they're still meeting, even though Rome said no. And so... The, the first generations did not understand Romans 13 to be an unqualified blanket uh, assertion that whatever the government says, that's what you have to do. So what most people will say is, well, right. Okay. If the government says, don't pray for your children, you're still to pray for your children. Yeah. Okay. That's obvious. Right. If the government says you're to kill your wife. You're not supposed to kill your wife. You don't <laughs> do that. That's obvious. But this other stuff isn't obvious. And so where we're going today, and I think, I think where a lot of the conversation is today is that there are a lot of Christians who just simply cannot believe that there is a rapidly moving, well-organized global movement toward a secular totalitarianism that has the culture of death as its central religious sacrament. They just just can't believe it. And people my age, I get it. Mm -hmm. The world didn't change this fast when I was young um so it it does really feel like the earth is moving under our feet but there are just a lot of christians that just cannot possibly believe that the equality act will do to christian institutions christian schools christian churches the things that it's going to do to those things to those institutions as the australians are doing it canadians are doing it the germans have been doing it for a while uh belgium The, the, the netherlands um the scandinavian countries it's it's global it's it's literally all over the place not so much in africa but they'll want to get there eventually yeah it's um they'll have some problems in zambia god bless zambia but anyways uh they just want they don't want to believe it and so they they're just like well look we just we just need to sort of get along for now and hope for the next election, <laughs> you know, this, yeah. this type of thing. Um, and, and the reality is in the process, we are taking one step, then another step, then another step, then uh, another step toward our own subservience. And we likewise have come to that conclusion, not based on going, okay, Romans 13 says something about masks. It doesn't. But we, as an eldership, for example, have looked at the data. We've actually read papers. I have been cursed with the fact that I was department fellow in anatomy and physiology at Grand Canyon University. I finished all my uh, coursework for a bachelor of science degree, finished my senior boards. Um, I was pre-med. I unfortunately know a fair amount about biology and hence virology and things like that. And I can read scientific papers. And I know, I know you know this, this, this line, but it's becoming one of my favorite lines. Rod Dreher has repeated it for us so we can all know it, but right. Solzhenitsyn, right before he was kicked out of the Soviet Union, um, wrote to the Soviet people and said, do not live by lies, because that's what communism is. It's constantly living by lies. You are, you are forced to repeat things that you know are not true isn't it wonderful comrade that our our production is up five percent this year you know it's not up five percent it's down in the hole and you know it but you're told you have to say these things you're living by lies. and are you familiar with the dalrymple quote that um that uh, i think so uh uh doug wilson uh quoted it recently in uh, one of his, uh, things. It, I, if you don't mind, I, I have it here.
0: Oh, go for it. Yeah. I, I was going to look it up, but sure. Oh, uh, this
1: is, this is one of the most important things that I have grasped recently. And this was just so insightful. Let me, let me, let me read it for you here. This is from Theodore Dalrymple, uh, August 31st, 2005 in a, uh, front page magazine, uh, article. Here's what he said. Political correctness is communist propaganda writ small. In my study of communist societies, I came to the conclusion that the purpose of communist propaganda was not to persuade or convince, nor to inform, but to humiliate. And therefore, the less it corresponded to reality, the better. When people are forced to remain silent, when they are, they are being told the most obvious lies, or even worse, when they are forced to repeat the lies themselves, they lose once and for all their sense of probity. To assent to obvious lies is to cooperate with evil, and in some small way to become evil oneself. One standing to resist anything is thus eroded and even destroyed. A society of emasculated liars is easy to control. I think if you examine political correctness, it has the same effect and is intended to. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing people all the time right now. Uh, There's this one guy on Twitter and he keeps documenting the hypocrisy of people on the left. They say one thing, they do something else. And they're just wide open about it. And he just keeps going, I can't believe they're doing this. And once I read that, I'm like, I can't believe they're doing this. And they're doing it purposefully. And you're just sitting there pointing at them doing it isn't going to accomplish anything because that's what they want. They are humiliating you. In your face, we are going to say one thing and do something else. We're going to apply completely different standards here. That is the intention.
0: Well, I think you had um, mentioned this, kind this of t- today. Uh Gina Carano who was the star of The Mandalorian um is canceled, but meanwhile, Pedro Pascal, who said basically posted something similar comparing the United States to Nazi Germany, still has his job. There was never a controversy. Um, when he did it because he was doing it uh, during the Trump era comparing Nazism to Trump. Um, we also have Nick Cannon who said basically, oh. you, you know about that one with Nick oh, Cannon I do yeah. I, I
1: read I read that quote on the dividing line recently. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but there's a there's another singer um, named uh, Morgan Wallen, a country singer who I guess was. Yes. Dr- yeah and so you see these two side by side. What Nick Cannon did was premeditated. And he wanted people to know what he said. He never apologized. He's got his. He job. still believes it. You, he you still believe it. He still believes it. it. And Morgan Wallen is is profusely apologetic. Someone just caught him when he was drunk saying something. He, and he's lo- he's losing everything. And it's just um, the hypocrisy is amazing. And I've wondered sometimes like wh- when are people going to wake up and see this? Because like Morgan Wallen's record uh, sales are going up. I think a lot of the common people do see this. But the elites are out of touch, including many pastors, unfortunately, um, who want to seem to be in that world of elitism. I'm I'm not sure why they want that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well,
1: the point is we, we we came to the conclusion as an eldership that if people wanted to wear masks, they could. We were not going to force anybody to do so, and we weren't going to be doing it ourselves. And we weren't going to be doing social distancing, and we were going to meet and we were going to proclaim the word of God. And for, for about, I don't know, two and a half months, we didn't do this one thing at the end of the service where if you want to come forward in singing the last song, uh, you can, you can do so. We stopped doing that for a couple months. We've gone back to doing it. Um, <laughs> it's one of the most special parts of the, of the whole service. In my opinion, it's wonderful. Um, but the, the point is we, we looked at these things and we decided we're not going to live by lies. Um, we, we recognize that there is a, basically, uh, if it's being censored, that probably means there's something to it, <laughs> OK? Um, and so uh, when, when you dig deep enough, we're like, OK, there is, there is a clear effort to control the narrative and to put out just one perspective here and we're gonna dig deeper and we're gonna act on, on that. And that's, that's what we have done. Uh, when it comes to the issue of, uh, of vaccines, um, I don't know if you are aware of the uh, surgeon, young surgeon uh, who passed away a few days ago. Uh, oh, I heard having, about it. I'm sorry?
0: I heard about it, yeah.
1: Right. Um, I started warning and I, again, I'm not a medical doctor, but I know something about biology, especially, in fact, the funny thing is my senior year in college when I was uh, studying Greek and Greek syntax and all the rest of that stuff, I was also raising 35,000 Drosophila melanogaster fruit flies to study their genetics at the exact same time. Uh, so I was double major. P-
0: pumping them with radiation, minor. I'm assuming, and what happens <laughs> no, no to them. No. Okay. But, right. um
1: it was their eye color thing, which was really cool, and I can still smell the stuff we called fly nap. Anyways, the, the point is, um, these vaccines are untested uh, on humans. We are that they didn't do animal testing. The warp speed stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a we new, are the test. We are the we test. are the test group. <laughs> and guess I I asked a question because it popped in my mind about two weeks ago, and I know somebody that I can ask. Uh, I said, hey, what are the Chinese doing for vaccines? <laughs> have, you, is, have you thought of that?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I know. I don't know the answer to it. I, I didn't think they were I doing do much. Know. Oh, What are they doing?
1: They developed an old style vaccine using the old ah. technology. They're not doing anything with mRNA or DNA.
0: Interesting. Only we
1: are. Catch that? Yeah. China has an old style vaccination for coronavirus why don't we, why don't we, my greatest fear is ADE, which is antibody dependent enhancement. In all the times they've tried to use this technology before in this area, when they got to animal studies, this is why those studies stop because the animals died. Why? Because you can produce antibodies, but that's not a full immune response. And what ADE does is it tells your body, I already have those antibodies, but you don't have the other elements of the system. And so when you get hit by the real virus out in the wild, your body says, we're already ready for that, doesn't respond, oh, the man. virus takes you over and kills you quickly. and That's exactly what happened to this doctor. That's scary. And in Israel, they've had so far 41 deaths from oh, COVID of people who were fully vaccinated
0: yeah that that's fishy (laughs) that's very fishy. okay
1: now this i hope i'm sitting here hoping and praying that there's another answer to this and that this is not because how many millions of doses have already been given yeah that this is not what the result is going to be but there have been numerous medical doctors numerous 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 who've said this is not how you do this. You don't do it. And so I'm very concerned. I'm not going to be traveling anytime in the future because we both know, and I called this in April of last year. In April of last year, I said, I predict that you will not be able to travel internationally without a health vaccine passport. Very, very. Smart. And that's Already
0: what's starting. Happening. Yeah. Sorry. Start starting? um i wanted to force this yeah i I agree with what you're saying i think i mean we're scared now (laughs) everyone's sufficiently afraid i think uh probably who's listening to this of the vaccine um i i think the the hurdles i I was hoping maybe you could address that some people have because they've been trained this way from their traditions is number one you kind of touched on this but um because this relates back to romans 13 um the government can't force you to do anything that would limit the preaching of the gospel, but that's it. So it's kind of like this narrow view that like, right. well, you know, you can still preach the gospel and have a vaccination or shut down your church or I don't know, wear a mask, whatever. Um, the other thing is this idea that, well, because it was Nero who was in charge when Paul wrote Romans 13, it doesn't really count uh, to, it's it's really just about Christians submitting and, and you can't find in this anything that would allow a Christian uh, to oppose the government if the government's committing evil, because clearly Nero committed evil. What what do you say to those objections? Because those are the two most common ones I hear.
1: Well, a, a couple of things. First of all, as, as it has been pointed out, uh, Nero did not start off as Nero,
0: <laughs> right. um,
1: at the way he went and Romans probably was, was written uh, toward the peaceful part of Nero's reign. And I believe, and this gets us into eschatology, and I've had some shifts in my thinking uh, lately on that particular subject, but I believe um, that Nero is the one identified very clearly in the book of Revelation. Uh, I do believe in the early date for Revelation. And so don't okay. tell me, if that's the case, don't tell me that is nice about Nero. <laughs> Um, okay. He's the beast. Uh, so, if if that's the case, then Scripture very plainly identifies the source of his behavior, which was I want, I can't even I can't even start to describe the things that Nero eventually did. But that was there was a difference between the individual emperor and the empire itself. Uh, there was actually going to come a fairly stable period of time after Nero uh, into the second century where you actually have some decent emperors that don't go crazy and do wild and crazy stuff like that. But they still persecuted the church mm. and they, they persecuted the church because the church demanded to say that Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord.
0: That's right. So
1: the church that stood up for its sphere sovereignty was the church that was being persecuted even by the good Roman emperors. And so when, I'm not sure what the objection about Nero would be other than people, I have heard people say, yeah. hey, Romans 13 says, be in subjection even to someone as evil as Nero. Right. As if Paul is actually saying you get to let Nero define what's good and evil, they never <laughs> deal. I don't, I don't hear them dealing with what it says. Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Nero defined evil behavior, right? But he didn't decree that everybody else had to do the stuff he was doing. Okay, so you have to go to where did the church and Nero collide? And it wasn't so much at that time that you have the collision as afterwards when the Romans start figuring out these Christians are not Jews. Because at first they're just like, oh, you guys are arguing because you're using the same scriptures. I, I don't want to hear this, go argue about your theology someplace else. Eventually, the Roman system came to understand: okay, Christians are not Jews. These the there's a there's a distinction here, and we need to deal with the Christians differently than we do with the Jews. And so that's when the issue of ultimate fealty or the willingness to say, Caesar Kaiser Kurios, becomes the issue because the Christian has says, has said, Jesus Kurios. Now, Here's a question for everybody in the audience: Why can't an early Christian, and I'm writing a book on the subject right now, so why can't, why didn't the early Christians believe they could say Kaiser Kurios? Because if you believe, for example, radical two kingdom theology, that's that's a, that's a Kurios is over there, right? And in fact, the, there were there were many Kurioi lords in political power that you could acknowledge as being lords. So there must've been something about Jesus Kudios that was in direct conflict with Kaiser Kudios.
0: They didn't have this,
1: Jesus is Lord is just in my heart. The Romans recognized and the Christians recognized that Jesus was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that therefore, even Caesar was subject to the risen Christ. That was the problem. Mm. That was the issue. And we've lived in a nation where that was understood at first, got forgotten, got buried. We figured people still understood it. And now, Caesar's back, and he says, I'm Lord, and you you need to admit it.
0: Well, that's significant yeah. what you said, though, because that would mean that it wasn't for preaching the gospel. They were ultimately persecuted, but for making a claim to challenge the ultimate authority of the regime. Or that the gospel includes that. Right. The, and Right. Sure. Yeah. So,
1: And, and that, that's that. I don't know if you have one around, but I haven't seen the four spiritual laws for a long time, but I don't think that part was in it. <laughs>
0: No, I, I don't have one of those in this house actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we listened to, the, I listen to the dividing line much too early to, to get wrapped up in that stuff. <laughs> um, that, that's, I, I think that answers the question pretty brilliantly. Uh, and, and that's, it really does seem to come back to just some basic presuppositions that you already have before approaching a text like Romans 13. It's not really the text itself. That's the issue. It's what you're bringing to it. And, um,
1: I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. I'm not saying that there are simple answers right. to every question here. I mean, we Christians struggled under the Soviet system. We can look back to that and learn from things, but no one's faced what we're facing now in the history of the church. Um, even under Rome, you didn't have the technology, obviously. And Rome was still a theistic system of some, of some type. Yeah. We are facing full-on, secular, atheistic, culture of death, technocracy. So you've got, you've got people who are rebelling against God in every aspect of human life who can then follow everybody with, with drones and with satellites. That's not something we've ever faced before. The church in Russia could hide in the woods and sing quietly. We don't have that option. There are no woods that can hide you from satellites. Um, I guess you could find a a mine shaft someplace and that would be a a, bet that I I can think of. Um, So I'm not saying they're they're gonna be easy answers and especially this genetic stuff that's going on and genetic manipulation and the tech along those lines. Oh my goodness. My hope, I'll just tell you what my hope is. a society built upon pluralism will collapse upon itself because that's not God's world. Those aren't, we're all made in the image of God. And even if you manage to lie and deceive and brainwash every single human being, we're still made in the image of God and we're going to know that there's something not right. And the system eventually is going to crumble. It could last for a while, but eventually it's going to crumble. And my hope is that let's say we're going into an extremely dark period globally. I I pray that's not the case, but it seems to be as far as I can tell. Let's say we go into an extremely dark period globally. My hope is that the collapse of this great enemy of Christ, because that's what secularism is. Secularism is a full-on rebellion against the claims of Christ. Christ is is the source of life. Secularism is the culture of death. They are absolute opposites. When secularism destroys itself, and in the process may destroy not just millions or hundreds of millions, but billions of people in the process, will that be the trigger that causes people to say, never again? Never again secularism. Never again the denial that we are made in the image of God. Never again the chaos that comes from Darwin's world. Could that be it? I hope and pray it is. Yeah. But for me, my big question now, and for a young man like yourself, this is something I wish someone had forced me to think about long before now. Um, Doug Wilson said in... Um, a movie uh, called uh, On Earth As It Is in Heaven. He and I had started thinking about this, I don't know, a few years ago, and it really crystallized only a few weeks before I heard this, and then I heard him saying the exact same thing I've been thinking all along. He says, most evangelical Christians never think about their great-grandchildren. Hmm. They never think about what world they're going to live in or how we must be living our lives to invest in communicating the faith to them and it's true and if you have certain eschatological beliefs you don't think you're going to have great grandchildren anyway you certainly don't think that doing anything now is going to affect them you're not you're not called to do that kind of thing you don't polish brass on a sinking ship right (laughs)
0: <laughs> well I, I was raised in a, in a pre-millennial home um i i'll be honest though i think because I, I i think it was gary DeMar who said this years ago that a lot of these issues are, are more ethical than even eschatological and i'm not diminishing what you're saying about eschatology but right is right and whether christ comes back tomorrow or in a thousand years or a million years from now like i i just i'm responsible proverbs wants me to try to give a, an inheritance to my children's children that's what it teaches and my, my family was always very well aware of where we came from who we are and then uh and the legacy that we're going to um, leave do it to our kids so that that's i guess i was raised in a traditional kind of way um i can't understand people who are who, who don't live that way because i wasn't part of that we like going to like national parks and battlefields and these kinds of things but um I I don't know. <laughs> maybe, well, maybe if you have a connection,
1: you. if you have a connection backwards, then right. you're going to realize you want to have a connection forward.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Right.
1: And and so many people today do not have the connection backwards, and so they they make they have no thought whatsoever going forwards. But for me, yeah. My question is, if it does get as dark as it could, how do you communicate the faith? Through that darkness. That's the challenge that I'm certainly spending a lot of time thinking. about.
0: I'm thinking the same things. Uh, What do you say about Alaska? Is Alaska, (laughs) my wife and I keep kicking things around. We're like, is Alaska the place?
1: (laughs) Very cold. Very, very cold. South Dakota, Texas, Oklahoma. Mm. Yeah, we're all, we're all thinking the same things. And now thinking about them very seriously.
0: Yes. Yes. Um,
1: Because I, 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 I would like to hope that there would be bastions of liberty and freedom, uh, that would, that would stand tall. Uh, but I don't know. I I don't know. Uh, I also read certain dystopian novels and go, man, I could see how this would, would happen. Uh, I can see, I can see the elements of it right now. Uh, there is, uh, there is one from 1975 called this perfect day. I don't know if you've you've read it.
0: I haven't read that one yet. No.
1: Yeah. Uh, you may not want to, yeah. It, it's of close. all of them. I mean eighty-four, obviously, Brave New World, yeah, Fahrenheit yeah. four fifty one, blah 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 blah. But this this perfect day just um, keeps haunting me. And it's from the mid mid nineteen seventies. Well I think and it was, um, it's it, it is I would highly recommend it. It's on Audible, grab it. Uh, this you'll new day. you'll You'll either thank me or curse me depending on how,
0: how you're feeling at the end <laughs> Well, I was watching a Francis Schaeffer video. I think it was the last episode in How Should We Then Live from 19 oh, yeah. And it sounds like he's talking about 2021. It's amazing because yep. he talks about yep. technocracy. So, um, well, I know you got to go. You got a lot of things to do. I appreciate you giving us some of your time here to talk about Romans 13 and and some of the the concerns I'm tracking with you. And, uh I I hope this helps some of uh, everyone in the audience because I know we're all struggling through some of the same questions and having the same challenges uh, thrust in our direction. But uh, if you want to find out more about Dr. White or get any of his books, you can go to aomen.org. Anywhere else you want me to send people?
1: Uh, No, I mean, uh, obviously Apologia Studios is where a lot of my preaching is now. Uh, So Apologia Church and doing pro-life movement and things like that. So Apologia Studios, aomen.org, that'll pretty much cover it. Uh, get them while you can because <laughs> I don't know how long uh, we're going to be available in standard social media format uh, in in the future. Believe me, we know that we're making we've made our preparations, but uh, I think that's going to be the case for a lot of folks. I, I encourage everybody if they find the dividing line to be encouraging, better download it and archive it and put it in the safe safe place because uh, eventually, inevitably, uh, it all goes bye bye.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll put those, that, those uh, links in the info section if people want to go check that out. Or you can follow Dr. White on Twitter um, since he's still on Twitter. I don't know why you're still on Twitter, but. Uh,
1: well, I, I am. <laughs> uh, I'm also on Gab. And I'm oh, there very. You go. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm on Gab. I like Gab. Um, I'm on MeWe. Um, okay. And uh, I'm very excited that the president of Gab is a new Christian being discipled <laughs> by folks. Associated with Christ Church in Moscow.
0: So oh, is that okay? I didn't know that. I was suspecting yep. something there, but now yep, you've confirmed yep, yep. it to me. Yep. Yeah. Andrew Andrew Torba, I think is his name. So.
1: Andrew Torba. He was just on uh uh Cross Politic uh yesterday.
0: Ah that'll, that'll drop this week. So
1: there's there's the connection there, and yeah. uh that's cool. exciting to me. Um obviously you're probably aware of the fact that Doug and I do a series together called the Sweater Vest Dialogue. Yes.
0: I've seen um, some of those.
1: And, and, you know, we, we, we will eventually be debating each other again. We've debated each other a number of times in the past and it's just another one of those wonderful examples of where, um, you can disagree in the bond of unity when you've got a solid foundation. Yeah. And, yeah. um, uh, I, I hope that our disagreements have been helpful to people as well as our agreements. And in fact, I think they go together.
0: Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'm on Gab. I'm,
1: I haven't been kicked off Twitter yet. I'm going to make him kick me off. Uh, I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm trying to, and it's not working all of a sudden. I don't know why. Give,
1: give it time. <laughs> give, trust me. Trust
0: me. Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, sound I good. I just
1: figure be salt and light as long as you can. And and uh, I'm still getting good material for the dividing line and stuff via that means. So I don't see any yeah. reason to cut
0: Same. off. So. Or as uh, James Lindsay just said, throw sand in their gears, I think, is how he phrased right. that. Yeah. He's right in their gears. He's right. So. Yeah.
1: Well, now, I there's, appreciate it. There is a guy that if the world <laughs> wasn't going insane, I would be pursuing for a debate. Uh, Jeff and I versus he and the go- Oh, right. Uh, on atheism. Um, yeah. He's a better Christian I, I,
0: theist I, than some Christians out there with how he thinks through some of these things.
1: Well, he's a really, really sharp guy and he's listening to us and- and he, he can't help but have been impacted by the fact that it's Christians who are defending his right to speak and yet challenging him from a Christian worldview perspective. I, I think that I would love to see that happen someday, but right now, to be honest with you, I'm not sure right now is the best time. No. Um, but maybe sometime in the future, but got a lot of respect for him, but he is an atheist and you know I've had dinner with him and, and we've had very interesting conversations.
0: Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you coming on to explain this stuff. And uh, like I said, people can go to the links if they want to check out more. Thank you once again, Dr. White.
1: Thanks for having me on. I hope it was useful.
2: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.